0: Well, I personally, I don't know what my editors think, I personally think that ABC is too left-wing and it's not balanced coverage.
1: Is it on? Look, I'm going to uh, shirt front, Mr Putin.
0: I will not be
1: lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. No,
0: wait, it is on? Uh, you bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. I don't like it. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate.
1: Well, may we say God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. Hello and welcome to episode five, gosh, five of Is It On? Buzzfeed Australia's political podcast. We're coming to you once again from Parliament House in Canberra in our the nation's capital. I'm Alice Workman, and across from me once more... Mark De Stefano, how are you doing, mate?
2: I'm so good. Alice Workman, you you in a good in a good mood? In a good place?
1: I've had a tough week. <laughs> it's been hard.
2: You know when when the Senate has to extend its sitting hours, you know it's a tough week.
1: <laughs> well, um, uh, my my dogs killed one of my chickens. Did you? And, is that, is that um, true? Yeah.
2: Your dog. Your, you've got a new dog. You should tell the listeners. You've yeah, got a new I dog. I got a new dog named
1: um, Cassidy.
2: Cassidy and Cassidy, you came home one day to find.
1: Cassidy and Romeo, who's the other dog, had killed the chicken. Who his name is Elvis, and I had to. to How many chickens do you have? Well, now three. We had four.
2: And your new dog just killed, mauled.
1: Oh, it was both of them. They both did it.
2: You've got murderous dogs.
1: I know. I know. That's so sad. I know. I know. You did. There um, was there was a big uh, investigation in my house after we discovered a dead bird. About who did it? The cat named Winston, my beautiful cat, or. the dogs, and everyone said, oh, it must be, it must be Winston, because she's got a little dark nose that makes her look a bit like Hitler. And I was like, it definitely wasn't my cat. And once again, all fingers point to these dogs. These
2: dogs. dogs. Cassidy and Romeo, but you've had a big week also. Yes,
1: (laughs) so that happened. And then on the other side, I uh, I got to meet Daryl Braithwaite and interview him as part of the Parliamentary Friends of Australian Music.
2: You're talking about the Daryl Braithwaite. The
1: Daryl Braithwaite. The singer
2: of Horses.
1: The Horses.
2: One of the greatest... Karaoke songs in the history of Australian music. I'm going to put it up there as the greatest. And uh, you interviewed him about about stuff for the parliamentary um, Friends of Australian Music.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. A, Mark revealed to me this week he didn't know that The Horses is actually a cover.
2: It's not called The Horses. Let's just it call is it called horses. The Horses. Is it actually? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't also... Yeah, so Jesus, I'm, I'm being really found out here. We'll so... go
1: riding on The Horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never Straight knew. Straight up in the sky. I never knew there was little Darling.
2: A definite article. So, um, so you're saying that Daryl Braithwaite's "Horses" was a cover?
1: Yeah, it was written by a woman. Her name was Ricky Lee Jones.
2: Ricky Lee Jones was yeah. the original yeah. uh, writer. Look it up. It's and very
1: her, her versions are, you know, quite different because obviously it's a female vocal. But yeah, so I got to interview him um, uh, about. You know, the horses, uh, 25 years this year, very exciting. But also, Mark, yes. his father okay. was a Boilermaker on the Snowy Hydro. How topical. In the 50s. Yes. So I asked him about what he thought about Snowy 2.0. And what did he say? He's in. He's in. Malcolm, if you need him, he'll come. I mean, I don't know if he can <laughs> still do the boiler making, but, uh, you know, he'll are you come. Say,
2: are you saying Daryl Braithwaite's father is in or Daryl Braithwaite is in?
1: Braithwaite's in. Braithwaite's in. Bra- maybe maybe junior and senior. <laughs> yeah. Um. He'll come, he'll play the horses for the water, because I imagine that we're going to use technology and not actual people to build this one. But yeah, um, yeah so that's pretty exciting. So you had
2: a massive, you had a massive week, you got to meet Dale Braithwaite.
1: Yeah, so I got to meet Daryl Braithwaite while you were chilling at a One Nation climate event.
2: Yeah, look, we're a two-person team down in Canberra and I pulled the short straw. <laughs> you go meet horse. Uh, you go meet uh, Daryl Braithwaite and I go to a data night with Malcolm Roberts questioning whether climate change exists.
1: What did you decide? Did you learn anything?
2: Well, there's just so many graphs that he brought out. And look, they looked real. They're all done on Excel. But we have a huge episode this week. Really oh gangbuster.
1: Now, I know I say it every week, but this week you really did sit down with one of the most powerful people in parliament. And it's not a politician. It is the political editor of the Daily Telegraph, Shari Markson.
2: Shari. Shari Markson is one of the most polarising figures, I think, in Australian journalism. Because every time that she does a front page story on the Daily Telly, it it kind of just reverberates around this building. And, and everyone is, when you get a phone call from Shari Markson, you know it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting because we got to talk to her in the week that she did the story that brought down Mark Latham, the Sky News commentator as well. So that conversation with Shari is upcoming. And we also got to talk to someone from Labor. Who did we talk to?
1: Australia's first Muslim MP, Anne Ali. That's awesome. Um, who was elected last year to the seat of Cowan in Western Australia.
2: Yeah, and Ann Ali was was an amazing um, an amazing guest who has some really interesting things to say about Islam, um, especially in relation to eighteen C the. Current debate in our Senate over whether we should uh, legalise some forms of racial vilification because that seems like a great idea.
1: But Mark, so much and so little has happened this <laughs> week. I think I think we need to do a fast five just to get everyone We're up to speed. Bringing back the fast five. We're bringing back the fast five. Get everyone up to speed with what has happened this week. Let's treat it a bit like Senate estimates. Yep. Set a timer. We'll do one minute each topic. Yep. Come, on, I feel like I'm on an, on an episode of Pine and Miles. Um. Okay. Set a timer. We'll do a minute on each topic. When the timer goes off. We move on.
2: Okay, okay. I've got my iPhone out. I'm going to start our first topic, uh, and one minute starts now. 18C. Holy, holy hell!
1: So everyone, everyone got their turn to step up in the Senate this week and talk about whether they're in favour or against. And of he 18C. got crazy.
2: Everyone, I think that's the problem I find with this. It's, it's sort of like bring out, bring out your crazy, and everyone left it out on the field today. The Pauline
1: Senate... Hanson said, "I challenge you." to point out anything that I've ever said that is racist. What a great dare. And also, dare. it's human nature to be a bigot.
2: Did she say that?
1: Yes, she did. Oh,
2: Jesus. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Everyone other has the right to be bigot. But other no. than Pauline, I mean, 18C is the issue of the Conservatives in this place. Everyone loves talking about New polling suggests that people in the public don't really care about it, but Malcolm Turnbull will get the chance to put this all behind him, and uh, I think it will be um, something that we look back on and just shake our head and think, Jesus, Australia, what was that?
1: Yeah, so Labor, the Greens, Xenophon, Jackie Lambie, they've all agreed they don't like the replacing the words bit, but everyone universally agrees this thing needs reform. in terms of process. Oh, okay,
2: go, go, go. Okay, so next minute, we are talking about... Penalty rates. Penalty rates. Okay, so um, Alice, it was a huge week this week because Nick Xenophon, who is actually a small business warrior down in South Australia and actually tried to introduce protections for small businesses against penalty rates a couple of years ago, flipped, as did Pauline Hanson, both of them... And and, and, and Darren Hinch. And Darren Hinch. So this crossbench now has said to the government, we do not want you to be... uh, Allowing the cuts to penalty rights by fair work, and they all voted for Labor's bill in the Senate that would actually now send it down to the House, which forces the government to actually vote no to Labor's bill. And so it actually makes them look really, really bad. It's very significant, I think, because Nick Xenophon and Pauline Hansen are very smart operators when it comes to like. Taking the temperature of the country. And yeah, they're populist. They're populist. They know
1: what people are thinking and about And they've
2: both said um, on penalty rates, we've listened. And that's why we're changing. And you
1: know what else is back? The bill bus. Remember the bill oh my bus? Oh, God. From the, the bill election? bus is the back. The bus with Bill Shorten's. All right, face, we're going. We're it's going.
2: Back. Okay. The bill bus is back. Okay. Uh, topic three Sally
1: McManus. So Sally McManus... Who's Sally McManus? Sally McManus in is, a sh- is a shit stirrer. She's a shit stirrer.
2: That's a great thing to <laughs> She's be She's the new as.
1: head of the union.
2: She's the new head of the ACTU and she caused a lot of foofs um, a couple of weeks ago when she went on ABC 730 and said, you know what? Break if, the laws. Well, it's okay sometimes. If they're unjust,
1: break the laws. if it's,
2: It is, exactly. Well, Christina
1: and, Keneally said this week, and I never really thought about it like that, if women hadn't broken the law, women never would have gotten the vote. That's true.
2: Yeah. It's true. But this is industrial law. She is claiming, she like, you can't just go out and murder laws. someone. But it's in like response
1: that. to work choices, like the hard work striker's laws where you can't strike across industries and stuff. Yeah, I got um, to
2: I got, I got to sit in on Sally McManus's first National Press Club event and let me say, the reviews from a lot of the senior journalists were very impressive um, and that she was so disciplined. did she,
1: like, say, like, neoliberalism is dead, She's, revolution now? She basically
2: <laughs> said that and she claimed that and then the day after, Paul Keating, the former Prime Minister wrote a piece supporting what she was saying. So look, the revolution is on, and unions are saying that. Oh, okay, we're moving on. We're two more to go. What's our next topic? This
1: week, the government made a submission to the Fair Work Review on the minimum wage. Yes, in it, it contained a sentence that said many low-wage people actually live in high-paid wage households, which mean. You could not earn a lot of money, yes. but your parents could be rich. Your family could be rich. Your partner could be rich. All these people could be rich and supporting mm. you. So it was uh, an argument against increasing minimum wage and also on the side saying, like, you know, maybe welfare benefits should be cut back. Anyway, so Michaela Cash kept getting asked how many people, how many of these low-wage people with these access to all this money, how many are there? And Neil Mitchell just hounded her and hounded her and hounded her and hounded her in question time. She finally admitted, I don't know.
2: She just doesn't know. I don't have the number. Can I can I suggest can we pause this minute just to play the audio oh, of Michaelia right. Cash being just melted <laughs> by Neil Mitchell? It's gold. Mister, you don't have a figure here, do you?
0: No, no, no. What are the, no you it's don't. not that we don't have a figure, anymore. Well, do you do I have mean, a figure? Give it to me. It's very much about you need to look at the minimum wage review as a whole, OK? But
1: I'm just very looking major... at well, what's wrong with what... You've put this argument that a lot... And I, I agree, you're putting other arguments as well. But you've put this argument that many of the people on low on the lowest wage are actually coming from wealthier households. OK. Now, how okay. how, I mean how many a, of them? No, That's a okay, simple okay. point. How many? What percentage? No. OK. I don't have the figure. OK. <laughs> So that was Michaelia Cash on 3RW this week. And in question time, the way she defended not knowing that it is the same information that is provided by any government of the day, regardless of who is in power. So she was saying the Labor Party would make the same statement if they were in government.
2: Well, okay, Michaelia. I'm
1: calling BS on that.
2: Okay, so last minute. We've got we've got one more minute and we've got one more thing in our Fast Five.
1: Have you ever heard of Assistant Agriculture Minister Anne Rushton? No. Well, Mark, this week she's she's done something that is going to either make you very happy or very sad.
2: I um, I'm interested by the the, the pitch to this. It she's launched the
1: search for Australia's greatest fish and chips. What? Yes. So. Obviously, they're out there.
2: There's lots of good fish and chips.
1: The truth is out there. The Curability ones that I like, go through. The is an iconic Australian experience. It's a part of our way of life. It's possibly more Australian than a pie at the footy. But Ooh. who can lay claim to having Australia's best fish and chips? It's because there is apparently a competition called the Australian Fish and Chip Awards, and they're holding them at Parliament House.
2: Okay, Alice, we've got 15 seconds. Grilled or beer battered fish? Oh, grilled? Why? Because
1: batter is gross and thick and you can't tell the consistency. If it was like a tempura batter maybe, but not a beer batter. It's too, too much batter, not enough fish.
2: Okay. Okay, well, there it is. And that was our Fast Five for fast episode five, five, fast five. five. Episode five. Hopefully, that brought you up to some sort of speed about what's going on this week.
1: Now, Mark, I've got some bad news.
2: Bad news is not good, but lay it on me.
1: <sighs> Our amazing producer, Nick Ray, has been off this week. He's really sick. So, unfortunately, that meant that us two novices... Idiots. Tech tech idiots. Yeah, as Tony Abbott said, I'm no tech head, Kerry. Um, to Kerry O'Brien on the 7.30 report. That's some the good throwback report. knowledge. Look, we've, we've, we mucked up. We stuffed up. And we... We've done this amazing interview with Anne Ali, but we the batteries went dead. We've lost the first part of the interview. And unfortunately, we lost a bit with Anne talking about how she came to Australia from Egypt when she was two, how she is a Muslim but considers herself a reformed Muslim and isn't afraid to call out and challenge other Muslims and and, and, th- and thinks that there needs to be reform within Islam. She also talked about having lunch with Pauline Hanson. It was a good interview. And some of the weird things that Pauline Hanson said to her. It was a great interview. death threat she got off the back of some of Peter Dutton's comments. Anyway, look, you're just going to have to take our word for it. It was the best interview we've ever done. It was so (laughs) good. It's gone.
2: No, but we did um, salvage about 10 minutes. 10 minutes of it. Here is our interview, or what we had left of it, with Anna Lee, the Labor MP who's been making huge waves since arriving in this place just last year.
1: So the debate on 18C continued this week and Mm. it got voted down in the Senate, Mm. but um, there were some reports that. You had, you have an idea that you wanted to extend 18C to cover religion as well as race. Mm. Are these? I mean, these that was reported in the Australian. Is that right? It's fake news, people. Fake
3: news. You're calling the Australian. News. Fake news. very <laughs> This is okay. very, it's, it's very saucy. It was not that at all. What I said was this: that you know, you, it, it it is undeniable that Muslims get a lot of hate. They do. Um, it is undeniable that the impact of that hate is the same as the impact of racism. It is undeniable that the mobilisation and the motivations of that a lot of that hate speech is the same as the mobilizations and motivations of a lot of racism. So for 15 years ago in Western Australia, we put out... Um, a white paper discussion about introducing racial vilification laws and religious vilification laws and the religious vilification laws got knocked back. So for 15 years there's been this kind of argument in the background about whether or not the kinds of um, hate speech that are directed towards particular religions can also constitute a form of racism that could be captured under 18C. What I was saying was perhaps there is a time to discuss that again. Perhaps we can start talking about that again because of the increase in the number of... of in the the kind of hate speech, the amount of hate speech directed um, towards Muslims. There's no proposal. There was no blasphemy laws. There was none of this. I don't know. Someone drew a long bow between me saying that and me putting forward a proposal for blasphemy laws.
2: So there there is this meme on the internet about Mm. people who do spew vilification against muslims Mm -hmm. and then get called out for being racist Mm -hmm. and the reply is always islam is not a race is
3: not a race can
2: i get you to explain really in a simple way why being spewing hatred against muslims is still racist
3: very simple because it has the same motivations as racism and the same impacts as racism. So you can define racism as only being about a certain category, or you can look at it in terms of its mobilizers and its impacts. If you look at its mobilizers and its impacts, then you would consider hate speech against Muslims racism. Do you think that you could extend the
1: argument to? Hillsong or Scientology or Buddhism
3: or other religions as well? I think if the impact is the same as racism, absolutely, you know, if um, and, and, and also in the same way that that Jewish people and Sikhs are also covered under 18C because they have Established that they are one people mm. so, so for them to be covered under 18C They had to establish that they are one people in other words be considered as some kind of race um uh, but you know the, then that begs the question, should 18 c be flexible enough to allow um, for protections against um, you know uh, against hate speech against particular groups because of religion, if it has the same impacts as hate speech against particular groups because of ethnicity or race?
2: Yeah, so essentially you're saying that with the unitary, aspect of being a jew Mm. you know you're all part of a singular group Mm. muslims probably don't have that similar thing and what you're suggesting is you want to extend you want to make sure that any vilifications against muslims is is protected under the racial discrimination act
3: i'm not saying that i want i want to make sure i'm saying that should. should should we be having the conversation whether it should or whether it shouldn't you know at the end of the day it's not it's it's it needs to be explored more you know my my observations are this my observations are that hate speech against muslims is equal to racism hmm? In all its forms, in the fact that it, it um, isolates, in the fact that it hurts, in the fact that it harasses, in the fact that it humiliates, in the fact that it offends, in the fact that it, 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 it causes damage. It is the same. So, is there, is there a point of discussion that we can have around what racism looks like in this day and age? Do you think Australians are racist towards Muslims? Not all of them. I think there's a small handful who are. But I would never... Like, I've been asked... People ask me all the time, is Australia racist? I don't think Australia's racist. I think we've got to be careful. I think we, you know, we fall very easily into certain patterns of behaviour, um, as we have done over the past 200 years. Um, but I think, you know, essentially, it's not a racist country.
2: Historically, are we in a era where... Muslims are the ones in which the majority beat up on in the media, particularly, in the same way that in the nineties it was Asians, and the same way that the eighties it was Vietnamese.
3: And that's the point, though, Mark. You see, okay, how how we can we? Every generation, we can turn around and say, "Oh, last generation it was the Chinese." Oh, you know, ten years ago it was the Asians. Next, uh, or or five years ago it was these people. Or five years, when are we going to address the actual? the actual fact that, that we're racist against anyone. When are we going to address that fact instead of saying, oh, well, you know, 30 years ago it was these people, now it's your lot, now it's your turn. Who's going to be tomorrow's demons? Who's going to be tomorrow's villains? Who are we going to pick on tomorrow?
1: Speaking of the ATC c changes, mm. uh, you asked Malcolm Turnbull very straightly what is it that you want to say that mm. you can't say. And there is a, an ongoing debate as to whether at c even ranks in the importance of what government should be doing in Australian's minds. Mm. Has anyone in your electorate ever raised ADNC changes with you? Nada, zilch, zero,
3: none. Never. So what are the issues that are concerning them instead? education, um, education funding, health, access to health care, the fact, um, you know, access to, for the for, for, for some people it's the fact that um, there's no more Medicare offices in the electorate that they can go to, so they have to um, post in their Medicare Yeah, someone was telling me you only have one Centrelink office in your one, electorate. One Centrelink office in the entire electorate. Um, uh, yeah, it's those everyday things that make their life Harder or easier. So we get representations from people who need help with Centrelink, immigration, um, uh, Medicare, all of those kinds of things. And these are the things that people worry about in their everyday lives. Penalty penalty rate cuts is a big one. Um, The cuts that are going to happen to family tax benefit, the cost of living, unemployment is huge. Record unemployment in my electorate, young people and their prospects, um, housing affordability, homelessness. I can tell you there's at least 20 things that are much, 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 much more uh, important than anything around 18. So.
2: You, um, I've, I've observed a few times in the House of Representatives, mm. um, Malcolm Turnbull and yourself actually having little sideline conversations. Mm. It appears that you actually have a little bit of a warm relationship with the prime minister, probably mm. that not a lot of other Labour MPs have, mm. who actually have this hatred of him. Do you mm. like Malcolm Turnbull as a guy?
3: I did a I, okay. I did a little bit of a happy dance when <laughs> when he rolled Abbott, just a little bit of one. Um, I, you know, I used to have a lot of respect for him. I met him before in in my in the kind of work that I was doing, and I like to think that you know. Um, all relationships could be respectful. I think like a lot of people I'm a bit disappointed. Um I had expectations and I was a bit disappointed in them, but I think you know, the relationship is respectful.
1: Maybe he's just jealous that you got to hang out with Obama and
3: Trump can't even get his name right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Did you hang out with Obama?
3: We were in the same room, but like he's surrounded by people. It's really hard. I've got a photo on my phone where like I'm about two metres away from him and fangirling like crazy, but <laughs> it, was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> They're going to go say, Do you have yep. anything? more? No. Okay. Uh,
1: the question that we always ask everyone the name of the podcast is Is It On? Mm. Which is, of course, about continuing leadership spills. And Ali, what do you think? Do you think it's on? In the Labour Party? In the Greens? In One Nation? In Malcolm Turnbull's office?
3: Oh God, one nation? Do you reckon? Oh, I don't know. I'm asking, I'm asking you. Oh look, I think there's definite division in, and very, very clear divisions in the Liberal Party, and I think that's where 18C comes in. It's been one of those uh, uh, kind of like, um, I guess, ideological issues that demarcated uh, the 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 right from the um, centre uh, in the Liberal Party. I think they, I think you can see it in their faces and the demoralisation on that side and um, yeah, I think there's something going on, but who am I? I don't know anything about politics. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a politician. <laughs> I'm a parliamentarian. <laughs> oh.
1: And Ali, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, guys.
3: I like the woman. I like
1: the
0: woman. I like the
1: Ali's definitely somebody to watch in parliament,
2: isn't she? She has a great reaction face.
1: I think that she um, she's definitely on the rise, even though she's just arrived. Mm. And um, oh, we forgot to mention also—it was cut off in the audio that we lost. It was Anne's fiftieth birthday this week. That's true. Fiftieth birthday, Anne! Happy happy birthday! And she um, went skydiving for her birthday is She said that her ethnic mother did not understand and was like, why do you want to jump out of a plane?
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely what my grandparents would say. And also, here's a fun fact. I know how much you love fun facts yes, about Anne Lee.: I love
1: fun facts.
2: Her son, Adam, is on Twitter and loves Survivor.
1: And Big Brother.
2: Isn't that a fun he fact? He flew
1: to Canada for the Big Brother Canada final.
2: That's pretty intense.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's a full-on fanboy. He had a Survivor podcast that I listened to a bit last year. Because it was during the election campaign, so I couldn't watch each week. Okay. Um,
2: you had this written down as like a single fact, and you know way more. <laughs> but. You really know really? the
1: other thing that got cut out in the Ali interview? What's that? She threw in a, in a reference to Project Runway. Yes. Make it work, Tim Gunn. She, she,
2: <laughs> she didn't say, make it work. God, that was a good part of the interview that we'll never uh, be able to play. RIP in
1: peace. Okay, well. Gallery Whispers is on a break this week because we've gotten too many complaints, Mark. and <laughs> That's not the only reason.
2: We thought that we'd, we would... Too we much were, of a good thing. Too much of a good thing is is, is bad. Yeah, and so we everyone, thought we'd
1: try a new segment.
2: Some, something that always happens in politics is that things escalate really quickly. They go from zero to a hundred. So, without further ado, our new segment that we're launching this week on episode five is... <sighs> Boy, that escalated quickly.
1: What's escalated quickly, Mark?
2: What escalated quickly this week was a moment in Senate question time. It was on Thursday. And the Northern Territory Senator Nigel Scullion... Lost it. Just absolutely blew his top. So, for people that don't know, Nigel Scullion is the Indigenous Affairs Minister who's been under quite a cloud since the airing of the Four Corners uh, program into Dondale, which sparked a Royal Commission into youth detention up in the territory. And Nigel Scullion is, because he's part of the Country Liberal Party, he is quite like he's like royalty up there. And he's
1: the only, uh, he's the only politician from the territory. That isn't Labor. So there's four politicians in the territory, three are Labor and then there's him.
2: Exactly. He, they, they, the CLP, the country liberals actually lost someone at the last election. So Nigel Scullion has been under assault recently by the NT News, the great newspaper up in the territory, who have been going after Scullion the last couple of days and they were running this online poll which was asking people, do you... Support Nigel Scullion, or do you think he should resign? And his well, that escalated quickly.
0: Will the Country Liberal Party move to see a fresh face in Canberra,
3: Minister, Mr. President?
0: Where, where, where do you start? Uh, can, can I just say it's been interesting? I, I know I know well, Senator McCarthy will have been will have been following will have been following the uh, sort of six day campaign from my local newspaper and a fine newspaper. It brings crocodiles to the lounge rooms of every Australian. (laughs) Uh, And they've actually been running an online poll that says, should Scullion resign because I'm such a bonehead? You know, right at the moment, that right at the moment, territories on on that poll have voted 60% in favour of myself. And can I remind you, that is almost two Senate quotas, Senator. Thank you, Minister.
2: Order. On my left and my right. Well, that did escalate quickly. Um,
1: I checked the stats. He is, he is not wrong. Uh, in the poll, in which like 1,500 people have voted in, it's just under 60% that are saying that he should keep his job. So he's right. Public opinion, is that how we decide things? <laughs> should it? But Alice, um,
2: <laughs> Alice, what's your... Well, that escalated quickly.
1: We work for BuzzFeed. Yes. It's not everyone's cup of tea. No. And literally, this is where my story begins. I was having an email exchange with someone from Malcolm Roberts' office, and his first reply to, to an immediate question was, BuzzFeed, as explained, I don't know where he explained it, is not our cup of tea. You see we like our news real and honest. This is no reflection on you, but rather the very biased and harsh news aimed at us by your organization. Wow, now,
2: okay, so you got that from an e- you had an email from one nation. That said that to you. That
1: said that. Okay. Uh, they didn't respond to any of the questions, so I published a story saying that they did not respond to the questions. You want to hear what I got back next? It is
2: about to escalate.
1: You are an unpleasant person, and your recent story <laughs> is exactly why we don't de- deal with you. How do you sleep at night?
2: How do you
0: sleep at you night? You have
1: crossed a line of dirty filth, unimaginable.
2: <laughs> so, Alice, are you Okay.
1: You are a terrible person.
2: Well, that escalated quickly. Look, you I gotta laugh. You, you know, we laugh. we get we get text messages and emails from staffers um, that escalate quickly all the time, and not to mention our mentions. Our mentions well, I, I, on on Twitter.
1: I'm quite interested to see what happens with our relationship with One Nation because they the the next step in that email chain was to formally a very formal email announcing that One Nation had banned Buzzfeed Oof. from all events. But then you went to a One Nation event and they didn't kick you out. Yeah, so.
2: yeah. Empty threats.
1: And you know what else escalated quickly this What's week? What's that? The Daily Telegraph ran a story about Mark Latham and then Mark, by 4pm, he was gone. He was
2: gone, skis. Dumped
1: from Sky News. Yeah,
2: and look... That
1: escalated quickly.
2: I've had quite a relationship with Mark Latham over the last couple of years. Yeah, you
1: exposed his Twitter account.
2: Exactly. And he just started tweeting again and it was all like, Oh my God, Mark Latham's tweeting again. But it all started from a Daily Telegraph story written by our next guest, Sherry Markson. And uh, we got talking about Latham, but also... A lot about the Daily Telegraph's power in the media environment, and also how Sherry Markson looks at the ABC. And Twitter. And Twitter.
1: Here we go, Sherry Markson.
2: Thank you so much for joining us, the political editor of the Daily Telegraph, Sherry Markson.
0: No worries, good to be in your little cupboard office. Oh,
2: it's it's very cosy, it's very (laughs) cosy. You were at the centre of a big storm this week. Uh, You... reported on Mark Latham, the Sky News presenter who got fired after a story that you wrote. Can you walk us through actually what happened?
0: There'd been a series of events with Mark. So he came on board as a Sky commentator. A lot of people objected to that because his comments are so often really offensive. Uh, And then he offended uh, Christina Keneally, the former New South Wales Premier, and she lodged a complaint with her own employer uh, about Latham, which is pretty extraordinary. Then he offended Wendy Harmer and, and claimed she had a disability. But then, you know, that's one thing to offend other politicians or media personalities. Uh, But then we went back through um, the episodes of his program, Outsiders, and found that he'd actually questioned the sexuality of a Sydney schoolboy. You know, this is a a school kid at Sydney Boys High School. And on air, Mark Latham said that he thought the kid was gay. And so we ran that story yesterday in the Daily Telegraph and it just um, you know, was met with a lot of outrage, understandably, from the federal education minister, Simon Birmingham, the state education minister, Rob Stokes, Bill Shorten, Tanya Plibersek. Uh, everyone, they all described the comments as bullying. And yeah, by the end of yesterday, uh, Angelo Frangopoulos, uh, Sky News boss, had, had said that he'd terminated Latham's contract.
2: It was interesting because it actually appeared in the newspaper Mark Latham actually writes in that you are the political editor and then Mark Latham is actually a guy who still has a Daily Telegraph column.
0: He does. He's a, a columnist at the Daily Telegraph. So we played the story very straight and we just told it, you know, as it was that he'd, uh, he'd made these comments on air and, um, you know, we, we haven't taken a viewpoint. We haven't called for him to be sacked. He's still a columnist at the Daily Telegraph at the moment. At the moment, at the moment.
2: <laughs> How do you think the government is going with um, this process heading into the budget?
0: Very tough time. I mean, it's extraordinary that it's been, what, eight or nine months since the federal election and all of the politicians just seem resigned to uh, go into opposition. You know, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a minister who would say that Turnbull's doing a brilliant job um, and that they're all expecting to lose at the next election. So it's a really difficult environment. I think there's a lot of confidence that's been lost in Scott Morrison's ability to argue the case and to sell a budget. Um, So there's going to be a lot riding on this budget. You know, if if Turnbull and Scott Morrison can come out and and convince the public that they've got a way to restore Australia's economy in the future, then. but even, even so, even if they have the best laid plans, they can't get it through the Senate.
2: Are they sort of conversations you have with ministers, they feel resigned to defeat? They actually are feeling as though that by the time the next election rolls around they're going to be in opposition to Bill Shorten? I mean, I mean, is that what you're hearing?
0: Well, I've, I've written this as a front-page story in the Daily Telly that, yeah, they're already discussing... Uh, I mean, not all the time. Of course, they're focusing on their jobs and they're really trying hard. They're throwing everything into this. But but in the front-page story in the Daily Telly, it was the clown's front page. Mm. And, and I said that there were discussions among ministers about, you know, who would be the opposition leader and who would be the deputy opposition leader. And, and they're already worried about which seats are going to be lost... Um, if there's a big swing, you know, people like uh, Christian Potter and Peter Dutton would be at, at risk of losing their seats or probably would lose their seats if there's a huge swing. Um, so that's, that's the kind of mood and, and the fear that's in the government at the moment.
2: And what about this sort of, I guess, momentum of Peter Dutton, prime minister? Where's that? Do you, do you, do you see that? Um, prime Minister Peter Dutton, maybe a, a, a spill against Malcolm sometime in this government?
0: I can't... It's. I mean, politics Politics is so unpredictable and no one ever would have imagined that after, when Gillard was PM that they would go back to Rudd. You know, they were calling Rudd psychotic. Mm. So you, you can never predict it, but oh, I can't imagine that the party would overthrow Turnbull for Dutton. What do you think?
2: I find the idea of turning to Peter Dutton uh, in one of those Hail Mary decisions that the government would have to make... It's got to be the last resort. It's got to be he's trying to save some furniture in Queensland or something. But if you're saying that maybe potentially he loses his seat with a big swing, then, I mean, he's not Kevin Rudd. But like it, Peter Dunn is not Kevin Rudd.
0: But say he was uh, Prime Minister he would probably not lose his seat then that would give him support within his seat. I, I, I I can't, I mean, it's, as I say, it's impossible to say, but you can't really see that happening. Um, And also Dutton's got support in the right, but not within the whole party. I mean, I think he's definitely emerging as the leader of the right, taking over from Abbott. He's filling that void. He's come out and, uh, and he's, he's speaking, he's being very vocal on issues like companies, um, Intervening in the same-sex marriage debate. Um, what
2: do you think about that? That was a really strange intervention, I think. I mean, you 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 appear to be someone who's very cosmopolitan in their views. I find it strange that someone like Peter Dutton would come out and tell people who are like Alan Joyce to sort of pipe down. Mm.
0: I support same-sex marriage 100%. My mm-hmm. godmothers are gay, Jackie uh, Stricker and Karen Phelps, and I'm godmother to their daughter. They're they're Foster child that they've adopted, uh, Gabby, who's beautiful. So I very strongly support it. Um, but I also understand Peter Dutton's point when he said, particularly about Telstra, he said, just focus on like making the phone lines work. Don't worry about our policy. Just you know, I, I mean, I've I've been trying to connect internet in my new place for two weeks now, and I can't get freaking Telstra to come and do it. It's so frustrating. So I do understand that. But, but of course, corporate Australia does have a role when the government's not taking action in a certain area. The business community does have a role in, in, in pushing them and encouraging them to do so and showing them that, that they have the support.
2: Have you heard of this story that popped up in Fairfax Media last week that Peter Dutton's the mystery guy that's working behind the scenes to get gay marriage to happen is this something that you is this something that you've
1: heard
0: well actually i first wrote that story (laughs) which was um which is that he's trying to find a compromise way forward you know i think everyone acknowledges that 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 same-sex marriage debate can't keep dragging on uh, as in, everyone in the government acknowledges that it can't keep dragging on for another few years. They need to find an answer to it. So, so Dutton and a couple of the other conservative ministers, like Scott Morrison, had discussed having a postal plebiscite. So that way you'd get around um, the parliament. You don't need to get it through the Senate um, if if it's a voluntary postal plebiscite. So that was that was their suggestion, or they supported that idea.
2: Pauline Hanson is somebody that clearly has a uh, resonance amongst the Daily Telegraph readers. You've written a couple of columns about her. One of them was praising her for her ability to speak to those people. Another one was a little well, bit I'd more. I'd say negative.
0: recognizing, not praising.
2: All right, you recognize the fact that she did. Where, where, where do you where do you sit with the way that Pauline Hansen can stoke a lot of the issues that I guess resonate with the tele readers, especially when it comes to. Politically correct political correctness and race.
0: Her greatest strength is that she is not ever on political message. She she just says what she thinks, um, and that does resonate with a lot of people in mainly in regional rural areas um, and in Queensland. You know she's she's not appealing to people who live in the city. It's it's those who feel they're forgotten in the regional areas. But I think the West Australian election was telling in that they didn't get. She didn't. One Nation didn't have the support that she'd expected. You know, she'd boasted about um, having what, what was it, five or six seats, mm. and you know they got nowhere near that. So we'll see how it how it develops, and it also depends on how well the Turnbull government does, and if they are seen not to be dealing with a whole lot of issues, then you know people will be drawn towards her.
2: Do you think that Pauline is right? On some of those cultural issues, though, the Telegraph really does jump on some of those stories, especially around sort of um, Muslims and 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 schoolboys um, not shaking hands with Muslim schoolgirls and all that sort of stuff. Do you think that Pauline Hanson actually has that part of the politics? She get that she gets that bit right when it comes to conservatives.
0: No, I think the Telly's position is what mainstream Australia would think, which is that you can't have a school where girls and boys can't shake hands. You know, the telly did a a front page uh, a week or two ago, um, Behead of the Class, which revealed that at Punchbowl Primary School, you know, there there was such a big issue of Islamic radicalisation that even teachers were being threatened with beheadings. You know, I think the telly, like most people, are concerned about the emergence of radical Islam and extremism. You know, Pauline Hansen takes that to a completely different level, which is not the Telly's position, which is, you know, she, she wants to ban Muslims, you know, really very strong and racist views, and and that's, yeah, completely at odds with with the Telly or mainstream Australia.
2: The is super good and super well-known for its campaigns. It's really... Um, it's really... Um, it's really powerful um, if you slap a story on the front page every day um, when it comes to whether it's safe schools or whether it's the Greyhound ban in New South Wales. What's the editorial bar that needs to clear when it comes to those issues? Um, is, it, is it Chris Doar, the editor, the telly, he sort of goes, no, this is, this is it? Or do, is there... Um, what are the, what are the, what's in the public interest that you guys actually go, no, this is going to be a, um, a story that we campaign on?
0: But the the telly does have a huge amount of power and I've noticed that even coming from the Australian. You know, you put a story on the front page of the Telegraph and it has an enormous impact. You know, everyone talks about it on radio. It sets the agenda, TV, press conferences. It's It's an incredible impact it's it's it's, I think it's the most powerful paper in the country it's just extraordinary you know you file I write the same story at the Australian and sometimes I'd feel like no one was reading it I probably shouldn't (laughs) say that but you write it at the telly and no one misses it Um, even if they don't physically buy the copy you know it uh, it sets the agenda But I I actually don't think that we've campaigned on as many stories as you say. You know, the Mm -hmm. Greyhound, that was a Greyhound ban, was a huge issue in New South Wales. The telly didn't uh, take a a very strong campaigning position on it in the same way that, say, Ray Hadley did. We covered it in a huge way because it was, uh, you know, it became a a leadership issue, really. And and, um, the leader of the Nats nearly got rolled over it. And so it was a front page issue on the telly, but we didn't campaign, we didn't take a point of view on it.
2: The, one of the big ones you wrote a couple of weeks ago was about the ABC's replacing of uh, of men with women for International yes. Women's Day. Um, you turned it into a See, story. See, that's a
0: great example of the telly setting the agenda.
2: Exactly. And I find that so fascinating. That was not a news story that anyone wrote until you wrote it and put it on the front page. Why does News Corp hate the ABC so much?
0: I don't think News Corp hates the ABC. What happened was I went in to do the drum. And when I was in there, I was chatting to one of the male presenters and said, you know, asked him what he was doing for his show this week. And he said, oh, no, I'm not doing my show this week. I'm being replaced by a woman because it's International Women's Day. I, I just personally think that's really insulting. I found that I was outraged by it. I was blowing up about it. And so when I got off the drum, um, I spoke to my editor and, and we... we Turned it around very quickly as the front page for the mm-hmm. next day, um, and and a lot of people agreed. You know, Anne Alley, who you've got on your show mm-hmm. later, she also thought it was insulting to women. Um, Peter Credlin did as well because we don't need men to step aside so we can get ahead. You know, I just think it was a, a, a patronising move by the ABC.
2: So, you've been one of the people that has written thousands and thousands of words about the ABC, especially well, was, in your previous well, roles, media, media editor, editor at the Australian. <laughs> There isn't some sort of... Um, why is News Corp so so aggressive to the ABC? Is it, is, it, is it about trying to keep the ABC in check? Or is there something about there that there's a cultural thing that you or the editors think that maybe the ABC is too left-wing?
0: Yeah, I, well, I personally... I don't know what my editors think. I personally think that ABC is too left-wing um, and it's not balanced coverage, uh, would be my argument. You know, on a whole lot of issues, it's not balanced. Um, look at the issue of even asylum seekers and refugees. And uh, as a Jewish person, you know, uh, who, who... And I recognise that in, ahead of World War II, a lot of places around the world uh, didn't allow Jews in. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm supportive of asylum seekers and refugees. But you, you, you can't only have... You have to tell the story as it is. And, and the ABC has, is very one-sided when it comes to the government's policies. And and doesn't give proper coverage, and it, it's funded to the tune of what is at one point one billion dollars a year of taxpayer funds, and so it does deserve to be scrutinised in the way that other departments or other areas that receive government funding yeah. you know, should be as well. And and it's also the public really, gets really annoyed by it, you know, especially working at the Australian when you write. But don't you think f- that
2: like the actual there's the trust in the ABC is absurdly high? You know, actually the public trust, if you look at. Where the ABC is, it's the audience actually really does trust the ABC when it covers issues and when it, its news department is thought of as the most authoritative source in the country. Yeah,
0: they they are trustworthy and, um, you know, they have some of the best journalists in the country. You know, people like Lee Sales is is brilliant. I admire her enormously. Um, and they've been Four Corners has, has broken incredible investigations. But even if you look at the type of stories Four Corners investigates, you know, it's often on animal welfare or um, people in detention and people with a disability, they, the issues they choose to, not that they're not important, they're important.
2: Isn't that about... But isn't that, that comes isn't through in the issues the,
0: they choose to investigate.
2: Do you think that sometimes journalism reporting should be about, you know, punching up and, and trying to keep the powerful to account? And sometimes tabloids do find someone in, in the public and splash them on the front page. And their lives are ruined. Do you, do you ever think about that consideration as well?
0: It's an enormous responsibility. Yeah, when you put someone on the front page, of course. Um, huge responsibility because it does affect their life. You also have to look at whether the, the story is worth it, you know. And there have been a situation, the federal government spoke about it last year, where there were a whole lot of these sham marriages where people were trying to evade the law. By uh, marrying to get someone into Australia, and so you know it's an important issue and a story that hadn't been told.
2: No journalist in this country probably pisses off the internet more than you, I think.
0: Still, um, do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that you really? you, d- you have this ability to really upset people online.
0: I've barely tweeted this year.
2: Is <laughs> that is that a, a self preservation thing for you? Because I'm I've seen the abuse that you get. It's weird, isn't it? it? It's and it's and it's very sexist. Um, disgusting stuff Mm. um how 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 do you see that i mean have you moved away from getting into fights on twitter and things like that because it took it out of you i mean i i i I think that you know you're clearly a public figure and therefore uh people are allowed to criticize you but what's it like being you on twitter i guess that's that's
0: such a funny question i have pulled back from twitter i mean i bear i tweet out my stories and then i basically don't engage which is I mean, coming from BuzzFeed, you would say that's a terrible strategy. Well,
2: I mean, I think the one thing that journos should always think about is that um, their audience, you need to listen to your audience. And we, you know, when, when people are sort of telling us that we're wrong on Twitter, you've got to listen to that. And I think that there is a danger that high profile journalists get so much abuse, yourself, Lee Sales, LaTeca Burke, that. You guys actually go, we can't We can't be here. We can't mm. even listen to this because it's too much.
0: I definitely read the tweets and read comments uh, underneath the stories I write. So you do get a, a sense. And, and also you see how it's playing out. So it's, it's not, not listening to the public at all. I read it. Um, but I think it's too difficult. And I think Lee and Latika still engage and and disagree with people who tweet them. I just think it was too difficult to constantly be fighting. You know, it's just too much negativity in your life and I I just didn't have the time for it anymore to constantly be fighting with everyone on Twitter. You know, you just... And also Twitter is... is, um, It has the extremes on both sides. has very right and left extremists who... You know, I wrote a story the other day about um, a coalition staffer who had expressed support for Nazi Germany and Hitler. Mm. And I started getting tweets from people who, who said to me, well, what evidence is there that six million Jews were killed? You know, there's just nutbags on, on both sides. And that's, uh, you know, you don't really need, you don't need that on Twitter.
2: Sherry Markson, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
3: I like the I like the woman. I like the I
0: like the
1: so what did you think of Sherry Markson?
2: I think that Sherry Markson is incredibly impressive and very intimidating. And I understand a, a lot of MPs have said to me and the talk around this building is that, you know, when you get a call from her, it's a bit scary. Um, I was just really interested also with the, some of the stuff that she said about coalition ministers who are already starting to think about what it's lo- what mm. life's going to be like in opposition. Like, that is crazy that, like, coalition frontbenchers are already going, hey, hey, mate, like what am I going to be in like the next shadow government?
1: Yeah. And-, and also I think it's a time when a lot of people decide, do I want to stick it around? Cause we could be in opposition for three or six years. Mm. So maybe if people think, Oh, maybe only a year and a half left time for me to make my mark or do something important or start rallying the troops. So I don't, and maybe get a really important job in opposition. If there is any important jobs in opposition. That's <laughs> <laughs> so Alice. Yes.
2: Time for binges. juice. It's back.
1: It is back. Well, it's never left. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What's bin juice? So it's where we get a couple of stories that we didn't think got enough attention this week. We pull them out of the bin, we wipe off the juices and we shove them in your ear holes. Now, Mark, what have you got for bin juice this week? I think that
2: it's an interesting time because the Chinese Premier... Leek Chung was here last week.
1: Mm-hmm. And then it started this week,
2: a story... He, he
1: made some jokes about how he was he was offended that he was served chicken instead of steak.
2: Oh, I'm sure that... In the parliamentary dining hall. Did, they go, did those jokes go over well? Were no, they said in Chinese? No, no. Well, um, the reason why I find this story to be so important to the segment Bin Juice because it might be something that actually a lot of people missed out on which was the fact that Australia's extradition treaty with China was supposed to go before the parliament this week and on Tuesday morning it was just sensationally yanked. Um, Barnaby Joyce, the Deputy Prime Minister, was on morning radio saying, of course, the China treaty is going to be signed and then, like minutes later, Malcolm Turnbull was like, nah, nah, we're pulling it, we're pulling it. So the background to this is that back in 2007, John Howard had the idea to sign an extradition treaty with China saying that if we have someone or one of your Chinese nationals gets arrested in Australia, we'll deport them, send them over back to you, and we'll do the same in reverse, right? So Australia would actually be the first of the five Eyes countries, that's New Zealand, Canada, US, and the UK, to sign one of these treaties because the concerns being that if you send a prisoner back to China, this is what the Law Council in their submission to um, a, a committee inquiry into this is that they're not going to get proper justice. Is that the conviction rate in China is so ridiculously high. So what happens is at the end of last year, the treaty finally comes before the committee. They rubber stamp it and Labor say to the committee, guys, I don't think this is a good idea. You probably shouldn't be signing this extradition treaty. We have very big concerns about it. Malcolm Turnbull brings it towards the parliament and then all these backbenchers start popping up on his side. So all these liberal backbenchers who start having opinions about Chinese justice. And they're saying to Malcolm Turnbull, like even like Tony Abbott, we shouldn't be signing this extradition treaty. And so on Tuesday morning, Bill Shorten calls up Malcolm Turnbull and says, we held shadow cabinet last night, and we ain't going to vote for the extradition. Mm, we can't, support, we can't it. support it. We're not going to vote for the extradition treaty getting through Parliament. It's very, very embarrassing moment for Australia, and they yanked it from from the consideration to be ratified. Human rights groups are actually really excited that this decision has been forced upon Australia, and they're going back to the drawing board and trying to figure out how to get an extradition treaty with China. That we can sign and a lot of backbenchers are going to get on board with. Alice, what's your Benjuice?
1: Okay, Mark, um, did you know that last year in April, so we're nearly, uh, we're nearly up to the anniversary, an 18-year-old kid named Josh Park Fing died on a work for the doll site.
2: I did not know this.
1: So he, um, he was at the Toowoomba Showgrounds and it's believed he died from critical head injuries when he fell from a tractor that jolted. But, Mark, we actually don't know how he died or any of the circumstances around it, because the federal government have done an internal report into his death and they've made changes to the to the Work for the Dog Program to improve workplace safety, but they haven't released it and it's nearly been a year. That's but they've already time. implemented these changes. And so the Labor Party and the Greens have asked eight times, Mark, eight wow. times to get a copy of this internal report and the government have said, well, no, we're not going to release our report until we get... Queensland's health and safety report, and we can add that into our report. But they won't even say what these changes are that they've made to the Work for the doll site. Now, did you know that 36% of Work for the Dole sites don't meet average safety standards? I 36%. did not know 36%. That. That's... It's over that's, a third.
2: That's over... So over a third of Work for the doll sites are just They don't dodgy. meet safety
1: standards. And since the Coalition have brought in their Work for the dull program, in 2014 to 2015, there were 92 injuries... Guess how many there were in 2015 and 2016? I'm
2: going to gamble with a lot more.
1: 500. Whoa. 92 to 500. One kid on the same site that Josh died said that he was told by the bosses he would face penalties if he didn't complete the dangerous, risky tasks, like what happened to Josh when he was on the tractor. So, so yeah, So the, we've FOI'd these documents and the government say that they don't want to release them because they could harm uh, Nieto who is the employment contractor who run this work for the Dole site, the government have said eight times, no, no, no. Last week, the Senate said, you must produce all documents and correspondence into this kid's death. 4pm 4 Monday, 4.01, no documents. They've again refused. So... That's crazy. We're nearly at the anniversary of this kid's death. We still don't have the reports. The Labor Party are calling conspiracy. They're saying, what is going on with these documents? Why won't, why won't you release them? Why won't you say... What happened around here? Was the employment contractor involved? Is it because the coalition are embarrassed about another pink bat scandal about how they've been running these dodgy or facilitating these dodgy things being run? What's going on, Mark?
2: I don't know. Why
1: can't we see the receipts, Mark?
2: Wow, you want to see the receipts?
1: I just want to see the documents, and I just feel so bad for this kid's family because they they're drawing out what happened, the tragedy, like the absolutely preventable tragedy of what happened to this kid. By, by continuing not to talk about it and to cover it up. We had
2: two very serious juices this week.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the whole point.
2: That's the point of this segment. That's the
1: whole point. I want more people to know that this We is need happening. more
2: people knowing about uh, the Work for the Doll report that Alice has been reporting on excellently. And um, more about the China extradition treaty.
1: Oh, and also just a little, another fun fact. Fun fact. So the PATH internship program, which we've talked about in the past. No, really? Is starting this Saturday. Hey. uh, April the 1st, which also happens to be... April Fool's
2: Day. Lol. Lol. It's Lol. the worst day on the internet. Lol. <laughs> April Fool's Day. When so if
1: you see a story that Path has started, it is not an April Fool's joke. <laughs> it's it actually is actually very real. true.
2: And <laughs> um, before we go this week, uh, everyone, all our listeners who are in Queensland, especially North Queensland, uh, I ho- we hope the BuzzFeed are sending you good vibes. We hope that you're okay and you've withstood all the damage from Tropical Cyclone yeah. Debbie. I mean, Australia, we band together pretty well. That's what yeah. we do.
1: All right. So we'll be back with a new episode Next week... Who should we thank? Okay, we've got to thank Nick Ray, our producer who's out sick. Love you, Nick. Nicola Harvey, Marnie Cordell, and the whole pod team. As per usual, we want you guys to get involved. Tell us what you think we should be talking about. Go to buzzfeed.com isiton is it on. You can subscribe on iTunes and all the other podcast apps. Leave, Leave ratings reviews. and reviews. Mark yes. reads them all. Oh, he I needs, really... the, he <laughs> need needs validation. The, the constant feedback to tell him. Uh, but also... Let us know if you want Gallery Whispers to come back or not. Ooh, People's Choice. People's Just like trust. Nigel Scullion. Let's leave it up to the people as to whether we should keep the segment. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, finally, Mark, I have to ask. Ooh. Is it on? Look, it's
2: kind of on. It's kind of on. Malcolm Turnbull, last sitting week before the budget, it wasn't as smooth as it could be. And so maybe Tony Abbott and Christian Border and Peter Dutton, the three amigos... Starting to have chats. That's all I'm
1: saying. Gallery whispers. Gallery (laughs) whispers. All right, thanks for listening, guys. Stay safe out there. Bye. Bye.